Thanks for joining us for another episode of Behind the Sport. Brent is back with us uh, after a short episode off. How are you doing today? Yeah, good, man. Just um, yeah, just a hectic week flat out. I forgot what it's like getting ready for uh, to go to the track. It's been been a little while and been a bit slack. So, yeah, no, a bit hectic and uh, just busy. Now, last time uh, you were on, we obviously interviewed you and we're talking about that Dodge Viper of yours. Whereabouts is it at the moment? Uh, went over the Adelaide border a couple of hours ago, uh, uh, the South Australian border, I should say, a couple of hours ago. So it's somewhere between here and SA. So, uh, yeah, it won't be far off. It'll probably arrive this weekend while I'm down in Collie with the XL, but uh, we'll figure that out when it happens. Yeah, nice. So am I still getting a, uh, a spin, a lap around Wanneroo in it? Yeah, man, I'll check you the keys for it. No drama at all. I'm thinking awesome. I'm, I might change the plans <laughs> for it now. Um, I'm thinking... Um, a, because I've run out of hiding spots. Um, so I think I might send it straight to the fabricators and get the cage brought up to current specs straight off the bat. Yeah. And then there shouldn't be too many dramas with anyone fitting into it. Um, a couple of decent seats. I'm, I'm, I'm not the slimmest fellow, so um, I need to sort that out regardless. Yep. We're going to always just get Callie Maloney back down there and you know, stick my feet out the window. Yeah, and get pull, it, pull, pull my leg. <laughs> Pull my legs, pull my legs. Anyway, um, Brock's probably sitting there at the moment going, what the hell is this story? And, of course, Brock Bolly is our guest uh, this week. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, good, thanks, guys. Uh, cheers for having me. Um, I was thinking when you guys invited me on that you're obviously getting to the bottom of the barrel to want me, but as you informed me tonight, you got a lot of dirt on me, so I'm a bit worried about what's coming my way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm... Bottom of the barrel, I doubt it, man. We're we're at the top of the crop, um, you know. Yeah, like you should see the guest list for this season, like just yeah, out of control, gets bigger and bigger, and you know. Um, I mean, I was I was going to try and get Grant Johnson on as a guest host tonight and like see how that went yeah, with you guys on the same episode, but um, yeah, he's not returning my messages, so he might be a bit upset we got you on first. Yeah, that's it. He might have reckoned he was due the call up first, so. Oh man. Yeah, There's maybe, some... maybe. Stories there, but no, you definitely don't write yourself off, Brock. You're one of the, the star performers, and and like I don't know Shane's gonna, gonna hate what I'm gonna say, but like it's no no secret motorsport turns me on, right? And, and racing that's what does it for me. And racing at a state level in a category like saloons or some of the top tier karting we've got, it's it's not easy. Like, you just can't turn up and go, Yeah, cool, I've chirped second in the car park at Woolies and, I, and I'm ready to race. Like, it's not a thing. You actually have to have half an ounce of skill to even be in the mid-pack in, in our categories here. So, yeah, it's um, pretty cool. And then, yeah, the, the whole pull my leg thing with Shane. Have you ever taken a passenger out in your car that can't get over the roll cage? Um, I haven't. I've nearly not been able to get over the roll cage in the supercars. Um, I did that Aussie driver search when that was still around. And honestly, getting in that car, I nearly, like, made an idiot of myself trying to get in and out of that. So I have so much more respect for how they do a pit stop in 10 seconds because it took me a good minute trying to figure out how you get over that roll cage. Yeah. Yeah, so and then change the fence, the bars and the skyline. Short story is, short story is I got taken out in this skyline. There were sparks and flames and all sorts of stuff because someone left a handbrake on. Um, so got back into the pits to get out. <laughs> got back to the pits to get out. And it was already a bit of a hassle getting in. Um, and yeah, Suva didn't take the hint to get out of the driver's seat and I really didn't want to crawl into his lap. Like he's a nice guy and everything, but he's just not my type. 
Um, he, he looks too much like me. Um, so, you know, that rules him out straight away. But um, so, so my option was to, like, crawl into his lap and try and do an awkward sort of get out or so, you know, like whatever. Um, he finally got the hint. He did get out. So I was like, okay, well, I crawled into the driver's seat and then somehow I just got stuck. <laughs> I don't know how I got stuck, but I got stuck. So my two feet go out the window and I've just met most of the like, streetcar guys properly for the first time. Yeah, so great uh, first impression. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's other, other media people there, but, you know, they didn't have the cameras out because it was a no – I think it was a – yeah, no one bought the cameras really. And, um, yeah, so I've stuck, stuck my legs sticking out, so I'm like flapping them around and uh, Callie Maloney's just out there and they're all laughing their asses off. I'm like – Grab my legs and pull. So <laughs> one on each leg and they've pulled me out of this, this skyline. So, yeah, still talk about it to this day. Yeah. I've since changed the door. Like, they, they were stupidly high, the NASCAR-style bars on that car. And, yeah, we, we changed them up. Because they, they weren't – like, I struggled to get in and out of it. And it was my car. And then, yeah, that car gets used by a lot of different people. So, you got to make it safe, and in, and in that case, yeah, never, with uh, the rear brakes being locked up for a couple of like laps, six above, foot uh, four-ish, yeah, hundred and north of where I want to be kilos. <laughs> um, <laughs> I weighed myself the other day. I'm not happy. Um, yeah, but anyway, look, this episode isn't about that. This episode is about Brock Bowley. Um, tell us, how did you get involved? With motorsport what what ignited the motorsport passion for you um so for me like being born and being called brock is usually a pretty good indication of what you're going to do with your life to some degree um yep. so but admittedly while saying that like i always run that party line but dad mum the family they never for one second pushed motorsport onto us so like when i was four i got the go-kart and it was like cool do some laps, especially having a farm. Dad built a little go-kart track on the farm, do some laps in that, have a bit of fun. And then not long before I turned seven, because like over here and at the time, the competition age was seven, you could start. He took us to Bunbury City Kart Club and he was like, look at this. Do you think you'll want to do it? Like, rah, rah, rah. I said, yeah, that looks like a hell of a lot of fun. Probably didn't say that at seven, but... <laughs> said that it looks like a lot of fun so um yeah got the first cart and went from there and yeah just ever since like just tried to work up the ranks of motorsport like the folks have always given me every opportunity they could to develop more and more and now obviously stepping into the trans am is and a national series is going to be a big jump for us but i've done national racing before in the carts so like yeah, it, it's not daunting or anything like that. It's just, all right, let's see how we go with them. The um, So usually, I mean, so were you the first generation racer in the family? Like, did your dad do any racing beforehand? Yeah, so dad um, did, he did Speedway and that. And then um, he also, he had an old um, VL walking short that he did up as a streetcar and used to race that at Barbagello and then um, he sold it heavily undervalued for what it is nowadays. So I know that even me bringing up this story, he's probably not going to be real happy with, probably going to break his heart, reminding him. Um, and then 
he the saloon cars were taking off in WA. That was back when it was only um, VNs and EAs. And yep. he was on the first ever saloon car grid in WA. So sort of something that he sort of tips his hat to. And then he did saloon cars right up until I started racing carts. And then um, he took a bit of a hiatus. And then, yeah, we sort of came back as a father-son sort of deal with the saloon cars. So, yeah, okay. he did his motorsport, but he was the first in the family. There wasn't like a third-generation pop was always into his plane. So, um, yeah, pop loves his planes. Dad loves his race cars. Yep, perfect. Um, how long did it take you before you ended up in a competitive race in terms of, you know, obviously you go out karting, do heaps of practice and that, but when was your first race? Um Define competitive because okay, well, not as in you know, not necessarily winning, um, yeah. but in terms of you know, you've entered a race, you know, an actual race, you know, where there's points involved, and you know, it's not just like a cart day sort of thing, yes, it's an actual. So that was literally probably three weeks after my seventh birthday, and okay, yeah, the reason I say define competitive is because. Sort of for about the first 12 months, um, I think dad would just bang his head against the wall. Like, I think my first ever race was an eight lap race and I think I did about four of them. So I know you've had guests before that pulled in because they didn't want to get lapped. Um, that wasn't me. I just kept going around and yeah, um, I hope those stats, if they ever exist, someone's burnt them up because yeah, probably not super proud. You meant to have the big story of, oh, I won my first ever race, but yeah, not here. For me, it was a bit of a slow burn. I think the, um, like, going out and being a winner straight away is a bit boring, to be honest. I think the the stories of, you know, the pulling in because you don't want to be lapped and, you know, the, the story from Charlotte on our last episode about, you know, the, the weights in the cart and, um, you know, Chase Hoy and his, and his dad having an issue with officials and, you know, going off to a different cart. Like, I think that sort of builds a story, you know, around, you know, the drivers themselves and, you know, a bit of adds a bit of a story, you know, and character to them. You know, if you're just winning all the time, you know, I think it could be a bit boring, um, you know, especially when if you start that way and you just continue doing that, you know, because you, you, you have an experience, you know, the four-lap races where, you know, you've, it was a mechanical or was it... Oh, it was, throwing, it was 100% the, driver wasn't good enough. Um, yeah, 100% driver was just driving around and having more fun doing, I think, I think around Bunbury, a good lap time in those days in the midget was a 36. And I think I was doing about a 102. So I think I was nearly doubling their lap times, which is yeah something I'm sure, like I said, especially dad, he's real proud of knowing. <laughs> oh dear well see like once you start winning ti2 championships and that you know this is the sort of stuff that can come back you know people go oh, i remember when brock was you know lapping you know half the speed of us and now look at him yeah exactly someone can hopefully sit on the couch and yeah remember those days we try to forget them but yeah someone probably remembers yeah. them <laughs> Um, so from card, karting, you know, we, we, well, I guess within karting, um, what sort of success did you see within karting? Um, 
my biggest success was probably the Victorian State Championships. So we went over there and there was a kid at the time called Jake Dixon. Um, and it was in Oakley and everyone said leading up to that event, you don't beat Jake Dixon in Oakley. Like no matter what, you don't beat him. He pretty well had one hand on the championship before we even rocked up there. And in the final, we um, we were right behind him the whole race. We were sort of clear of everyone else and it was just a race out of me and him. And I was, um, I set the lap record in that race as well. And yeah, I he beat me to the line and there was literally like less than two tenths in it. And um, yeah, that was just an awesome day. Like, like I said, we just proved so many people wrong and it was probably what sort of juggernauted me, especially on the Australian karting scene as someone to watch a bit because like even qualifying on the Friday, I qualified um, eighth or something and just worked my way up on the weekend. But I remember um, mum went up to see where we qualified and there was a bloke saying to his son, look at this, you got beaten by this kid, Brock Bowley. Like, who the hell is he? Some kid from WA. <laughs> so, it, and then afterwards it was sort of like, all right, now you've got to watch out for Brock Bowley. Like, he can take it up to these guys. So, but even that, that wasn't until 2010. So, like, anyone that thinks you just suddenly have these things happen are kidding themselves. Like, even the V8 guys, like, someone like Bryce Forward, we race carts with Bryce Forward. Like, he's worked as hard as anyone to get to where he is like it's just year after year of trying so hard and pushing and trying to get every success and trying to get noticed to get to that point so yeah I, I don't know if people fully understand what it takes in sports in general but especially motorsport because like obviously the money is a big talking point but it's not even the money you still got to have the talent you still got to go to all these events and put your best foot forward every time. Like there was in 2010, we were racing every two weeks and in a car, whether that be in WA, Victoria, Queensland, you name it. And like we're 10 and 12, like we're 12 years old and we're kind of expected to put our best foot forward every weekend. And that's sort of just how it was. But you look back on and you go, wow, what we were doing at 12 and 10 and nine and all that is actually pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Most of us were uh, sitting in front of computers and playing Need for Speed and stuff like that. <laughs> that actually, what were we doing? No, we're playing. God, show my. Was playing uh, Wolfenstein and stuff like that back then. Back then. <laughs> uh, so, Brock, you mentioned uh, Bryce Forward as uh, someone you competed against uh, over, I guess, over East and that. How about locally? What were some of the who's some of the people you've competed up against locally that you'd. Uh, have have had uh, I guess you've had to put your best foot out there to try and stay ahead of them. Um, the biggest one in WA were definitely like Kirk Kostecki and the Kostecki boys. Like they sort of yeah, a lot of race meetings. It would be like um, other than the Kostecki's, like right up the front. Um, there was a few other names um, that sort of didn't make it any further in motorsport like in Bunbury um there was a kid Jake Wright and me and him had like huge rivalry going like like I said like you're thinking like these kids are like seven to ten and like we couldn't stand each other kind of thing and now years later like we see each other we catch up we talk we chat and all that but it was just funny at the time like 
had nothing like didn't like each other basically and then the other one that I have huge amount of respect for and I think um, should have made it all the way to supercars or beyond in open wheelers in Europe or something was um, Nick Middick. He just like pantsters most weekends. He was absolutely brilliant. I think he went on a 12 month reign where he lost one race or he probably didn't even lose a race to be honest. And when I say lost, he came oh, wow. second. Like, <laughs> Yeah, Dude's wow. a freak behind the wheel, eh? Yeah, he's just got the immense amount of talent and just what he does, he must just have an innate feel of the car and that it's just insane. Like like I said, like said it. he probably should have gone further than what he has had the opportunities to go to. Yeah, he's mm. got he's got a freakish ability. He's got that, Shane, he's got, you know, that picture you sent me the other day, that extra corner grip. The way he can go around the outside on turn one and on four, <laughs> there, there's some extra grip going on. And, like, the track's a bit average at the moment. I found the other day when I was on it. It's just the start of season, right? So it's covered in dust and there's been no real rubber down or anything like that. But he pulled out a PB. I'm, I'm not sure if that's public knowledge, but he um, he was doing some smoking laps in that Beamer. So IP classes and for a shake-up again this year. Mm. Yeah, Okay. Yeah, no, he's um, he's on the on the list for the guest this season. Hopefully, he'll uh, say yes. He's one of the ones that I haven't heard back from yet. I might just double check he's actually got our message, but you know that happens. <laughs> I mean, I can see here go, buddy Nick. You know, he doesn't reply, and I'll be like, oh, actually, I never got the message. Oh, well, anyway, um, <laughs> so from karting, where did you where did you go after sort of karting and decide to? You know, time to head off in another path. What was your next step after karting? So after karting, we did um, we did a year in Speedway. We sort of that was when we um, landed the Brown sponsorship that um, was on the cars for a while, and we sort of did that with this Speedway thing. So Dad and another guy um, called Lee Watt, who's sort of known in the Speedway circles, um, they were going to race two late models, and then sort of because they were racing late models, I was like, oh well, we'll get a junior sedan. Um, run that and then we did that for about 12 months and then sort of we decided we just wanted to go back to the bitumen kind of thing so went back and did a couple more years in carts but even when we went back to the carts we sort of really only did wa and locally we didn't put probably a huge amount of backing into it that we put in before and then 2016 we had the state titles at wanneroo and we had a pretty bad run and it was just, yeah, pretty wretched. I think we came like 10th or 11th or something. And um, we were sort of sitting there having a beer after the race and sort of you can, from the back of the pits at Wanneroo, you can see the hill at Barbagello or at Wanneroo Raceway. And um, yep. just dad said, why don't you just come race alone cars with us next year? And that sounded pretty good to me, um, especially when, like, we weren't having much success in a card at the time. And then, um, sure enough, next day, I think the next day he was on the phone to Gary Hills. Um, we bought that car, and that's sort of what started that relationship with Gary that has spawned on over the last five, six years. Yeah. Your um, first outing in the saloon car, how'd you go? Um. Pretty well. So this was obviously back before the track got resurfaced. 
Um, and I think we did a 1.0, I think I did a 1.081 or something. So like didn't set the world on fire, um, no doubt about it. But for a first run in the car, like everyone was pretty happy. Like, or I'll, And sort of my big thing was I don't want to come last. Like that was yep. sort of my thing. And dad's like, oh, if you can do a 1081 now and we'll still give you a few more tests before you're fully in it, you're not going to come last in it. So, yeah, and then I think first qualifying we did, we got like fifth or sixth and then had the typical first-time jitters and installed it on the grid. So, as you can see, my first <laughs> time in every category has a pretty good sort of story to it. <laughs> There were, were there a lot of uh, shaking the head? Could you see in the other cars of shaking the head as they going past you after you've stalled oh, out? Oh, it was or, definitely they, yeah, an wait, embarrassing moment. Wait for you to get back. The funny thing is, there's a photo somewhere that um, Sheree, who's Dad's partner, his um, her mum took it, and Dad was starting behind me, and he's got the car angled like nearly 180 degrees like he know he said he knew that I was probably going to make a muck up of it um because what happened was even going up to the grid I missed the grid box and had the backup yeah so then because I did yeah. that dad just went yeah no nah, he's not getting this car off the line whatsoever so angled the car like Lewis Hamilton <laughs> F1 style and um yeah. yeah just so as soon as I stalled he knew it was going to happen he was already on the other side of the road to avoid me <laughs> that's uh, a pretty that's, that's a pretty good story. I would I'd put that one up there. Um I also yeah. heard bipolar opposite that uh one of the claims to fame is completely mounting an engine and then getting it back together and sealed. So this is a Friday tuning day or must have been or a Saturday tuning day, getting it sealed at midnight before the race and then go out and cleaning everyone up. So that was in what year was that? That was 2018 yeah that would have been 2018 when i got my first race win um so friday tuning day yeah blew the engine that's it um we're done for the weekend kind of thing packed that car away and then um yeah it was about so it was like only dad's gonna race rara and then it was um about nine o'clock at night i think dad rang uh sorry gary rang dad and he's like let's rebuild this engine. So we went, they went down and built it. I went to bed. I was like, no, nah, no way they're going to get this done kind of thing. And dad's like, no, 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 we'll get it done. You go get some sleep. You'll be racing tomorrow. By now I've drunk my sorrows and about 10 cans deep into a Jim Beam, into a Jim Beam <laughs> 10 can, 10 pack. Um, so yeah, real great race prep. Um, so yeah, they went and built, rebuilt it. I think, Rob Mitchell ran around to seal the engine at about 2 or 3 a.m. And then because it was a night masters, they went to bed, came back the next day, put the final touches on it, and then, yeah, had it rolling out on the grid. So that was just, like I always say, how well the team at Team Bowley Racing do. Like that there is just, uh, just an absolute prime example of it. And then to repay them all and win my first race in that last race under lights was just, yeah, that was something pretty special. That's something that will stick with me till probably the day I die. That, that's an awesome effort. And, yeah, I think repaying them with that win. I don't yeah. think there's anything else you could have really done to 
make that effort worth worth their while. Other than keep filling the fridge up for the next rest of the season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's pretty epic. Make sure there's cans in the fridge after that. They were just, (laughs) yeah, that's just superhuman effort for them to do that, to pull an all-nighter so that I can race the next day. Like, yeah, that's just superhuman. Like, you see the V8 guys talk about it, and, yeah, it's no word of a lie, like, what those guys do what those teams and pit crew and that do so that we can go racing is, yes, superhuman. Now, um, you've lined up against uh, one one particular individual over the last, you know, pretty much since your saloon cars started, uh, and that's um, uh, Mr. 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 Johnson. And um, how did, when you first went out there, you know, did you know who he was and what he, you know, where he almost ended up and all that beforehand? Was there any sort of knowledge about that? And did you go, hey, look, you know, you know, he's maybe someone I want to beat straight away, or were you sort of just worried about getting the first few people in front of you? Oh, absolutely, you knew who he was. Like I said, like Dad doing his saloon car racing back in the day, like you knew exactly who he was as a kid following motorsport. You knew what he'd done in the Utes and on a national scene and that, and when we first got in, it was like, oh, yeah, well, one day, yeah, definitely want to be in the position we're at when we were towards the end where you're beating him and you're giving him a red-hot run. But to start off with, yeah, yeah like I said, like, um, I think first race we finished, yeah, we qualified fifth or sixth. So you've already got three or four blokes ahead of you that you've got to focus on beating before you catch Grant because the thing with Grant is um, – He's not just three cars ahead. He's usually two, three cars ahead and then a little bit up the road kind of thing. But so, yeah, you just chip away. And, like, the team did a great job, make the car better each year. Each time you get in the car, you get better. You try to make yourself better. You try to, on those test days, work out how to do a better lap or whatever. And then, um, yeah, over the time, like, in those last two to three years, we were pretty regularly taking it up to him, which on a sort of regular basis, the last bloke to do that was probably Gary when he won the championship. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, from our, from you know, our point of view, from the outside of the track, you know, we obviously, you know, we don't try and pick favourites with anyone because you know, we obviously want to have a good relationship with everyone. But a lot of the times we were sitting there going, you know, come on, Brock, bloody, you know, just – and it, it was just purely just to see a difference, you know, and it was nothing nothing against Grant or anything like that. It was just purely, you know, you don't you don't always want that one-horse race. And, oh, you know, well, Shane's about to admit that's the only reason he doesn't like Lewis Hamilton is because he wins all the time. <laughs> no, I hate Lewis Hamilton because he's a knobhead. <laughs> his fucking ego needs a check. And I'm surprised that uh, actually there's this, a video of him getting um, pelted into a wall during a soccer match that's been going around doing the rounds. And honestly, I'm surprised that he hasn't like he never complained at the time um, that it was because he was you know because he was black that that happened. You know, then he pulled out the races card, which he does all the yeah. time. And yeah, there has been some stuff you know which has been very wrong against him, like um, uh, Fernando Alonso's fans in Spain donning blackface and that like that was wrong um but when he picks tiniest little things and says it's because he's black it's bullshit but anyway we're not talking about lewis hamilton um and he would never ever 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 appear on this (laughs) podcast 
even if I got offered a million dollars to interview him. Um, <laughs> he's a douche. Anyway, um, so yeah, like, and that that's you know, like we're always going like, yeah, you know, we've got some fantastic footage of you over the last couple of years, you know, doing some pretty smooth overtaking and some very last minute overtaking of um of Grant, and then you know, you guys going neck and neck down down you know to the finish line and that, and you know that that to me is like fantastic racing and you know hopefully this year with you guys not being there someone else will be able to step up um yeah because obviously we haven't i mean we've sort of touched on it that you've moved out yeah tattoos but um you know hopefully someone else will be able to to do that step up and you know give him give him the push around the track um i don't think there's any thing where he's ever going to become complacent but um you know, it'd be good to see that close action remain in that saloon category at the top end as well as in the mid-pack. Um, in terms of the current competitors and, you know, I mean, everyone sort of knows that, you know, we, we've got a really close relationship with the Hoys and um, especially Chase and what he does, you know, his racing career and that. And, yeah, last year in, I think it was the second round, second or third round, so I know they didn't race that many rounds last year because of the car, unfortunately. But um, you know, he managed to get a fourth in that in that grid, a fifth and a fourth and a fifth at one of the race meets. Um, you know, and the talent on that grid is just amazing. And you know, like, do you see anyone? Do you think anyone's going to be able to, I guess, step up into the bowl shoes and? And give it to Grant this year. I think so. I think you hit the nail on the head. You got to look at the young kids. Um, obviously, for us, we still got a bit of an invested interest. Like Brocky Ralph bought um, what was Dad's car, and they've got a couple of our motors as well. So, like, obviously, I'd like to sit here and say he's yeah. going to be the guy to do it. Just out of that, having that invested <laughs> interest, and I think he can be. Like, you see what he's he can yeah. pedal. You see what he's done in that van. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, like um, I see you guys ran the story that Holcross is also meant to be going up as well. Well, they were like yep. the two guys that were the pinnacle of the category below. And there's no reason why they can't come up and, yeah, take it up the grant. And once they get used to the like cars being a little bit different, take it up the grant and give him a red hot go. And um, that, and like, I know when we first stepped into the um, Saloon cars, um, it was sort of like, oh, why would you race the VT? Come race the VNs, Grant's unbeatable kind of thing. And yeah, I think just mm, I think we've done a good job as a team over the last five six years to debunk that myth. And like, yeah, you got to bring your A game. You got to be a hundred and ten percent if you're going to beat him. But he is beatable. He is human. It's a bit like the old. Um, yeah the old Brisbane Lions when they play, when they beat Essendon and they said, um, if they can bleed, we can kill it kind of thing. It's a bit like that. It's, yeah, you've <laughs> got to bring your A game if you're going to do it, but yeah. you can do it. Because everyone's still got to get through the likes of, um, uh, oh, man, now my mind's gone blank. Um, oh, yeah, Brent, help me out here. You guys help me out here. My mind's just got blank. I had all uh, Robbie Marcon and all those guys. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. 
he's still going to get through all those guys, obviously, to get up to to get up to um, to Grant. So, you know, and those guys last year seemed to step up their game a fair bit as well. Like they seem to be running a lot closer to you two at the front, and um, you know, having a lot of battles in between them as well. So. Well, I think yeah, the whole yeah. saloon category really has stepped up because they've got the similar saloons uh, are fast. They're faster than most of the, you know, some of the IP cars that it, that would fit in that mm. that mid tier category. You know what I mean? With a lot less horsepower, um, yeah. a lot less of a tire. So it's kind of. I mean, I'm not going to embarrass whose car it was, but I mean, there's a couple of the IPs getting caught by HQs down in college. So <laughs> yeah, no, we don't want to. You know, like it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if IPs is a really good comparison. I think... but... <laughs> no, but IP should be like so. Like a saloon's a, a production touring yeah, car, yeah. so very limited yeah. modifications, a very controlled category. Like XL is just that next step in, in speed, and you know you've really got to understand a car to get them to before or get them to go as quick as what they are. Um, yeah. So, like, yeah, like I've been passenger in a couple of saloons now, and it goddamn blows me away how quick they can get over the top and down into the bowl. Like it is, yeah. That some of those cars are on are on rails. I think the mm. best thing about the saloons and your HQs and your XLs, and even now, like with us doing the TA2, are the same. The cars are so controlled. Like you're not getting a huge advantage out of the car. Like so, as a driver, you got to bring your A game. So, like. In the saloon car, we're basically running road spec brakes, road spec um, suspension. Like you can literally go buy the brakes and suspension we run off the shelf at your local Repco, Auto One, whatever. Um, and then, so if you're going to beat someone, you got to give it 110%. You got to brake where no man's brake before, kind of thing, and hope that the car pulls up in a sense. And so then you see as like when you look at sometimes with the IPs and that, you can bolt on a bit bigger brakes, you can put a bit more power under the engine. And if people haven't raced a controlled category before, they're not getting the most out of the car. But then you look at someone like Nick Middick in that sense, going on the IPs, he's raced the controlled, he can get the most out of the car. And that's why he's just blitzing it in it. Mm. Mm. Well, um, back to you. The uh, obviously the announcement and everything you know, very late last year was that you have purchased um, a TA two. Have you guys got one or two of those? Now? So we um, hot off the press for you guys here. Um, we yep. literally picked up the second car on Friday, so. We okay. were meant to... Um, I had heard that rumour that there was two coming, yeah. but... So we had the second one coming from the US, fair. but we've actually... Yep. Um, another guy in WA wanted a brand new one and he just bought one that only had like four meetings on it. Um, and Dad was like, well, I'd rather have the car now than have to wait for a new one. Like there's not that much in the chassis really because they're all so similar. Um, it's more up to you how you development and all that sort of stuff. So um, we, he did a pretty good deal on that. So, yeah, we picked up the second car on Friday. Um, so, yeah, like we've got two cars sitting in the shed now, ready to go. And which one, which car did you end up, you got first? Was that Ronnie That Mollers? was Ronnie Mollers we got first, yeah. So the second one we've got, which, like I said, we picked up on Friday, that was um, Graham oh, Cheney or Shenny. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he's over... He's from over east and he runs in like the 
TA2 series, but he doesn't actually run in like the Trans Am series. Joys of having like the two competitions sometimes makes it a bit confusing. But yeah, so he's over there. The car got sent over here on like a consignment to sell kind of thing. And then, yeah, yep. through like through a bit of a process, we picked up that one now. And yeah, we got two cars ready to race basically. Yeah, right. I'm actually just having a quick look at um, Graham's car now. And I actually think I have a photo of that somewhere. Yes. yes. So blue and ah, silver yeah, 51, yep. he was. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, no, they, those um, TA2s, the first time I saw them was at Sydney Motorsport Park in May last year. And just the roar and the sound from them, like something special with this category. Yeah. I think you guys are have moved into into a category that, you know, if the, if the projections are right, you know, I think they were talking about 11 cars in WA by middle of the year. Yeah, yeah. So that, according to that trajectory, it's still meant to be on track that we can have, yeah, somewhere between, I think it's 9 and 14 they're talking about. But, yeah, so that 11 is pretty well slap bang in the middle. If we can get that, that would be pretty good, um, especially in WA. And even that, I think, like, we'd all watch it on TV. We'd all enjoyed it and that. But then someone like Ron Moller brought one out at Barbagello. And, like, when people can see it, hear it, smell it, feel it for themselves, that's when it drums yeah. up all the interest. And that's sort of like what we're trying to do now. Like, like that yeah. meeting we did in October, there was, um, there was meant to be four of us, but um, one of the guys broke the front splitter on Friday practice and wasn't able to get one for the Sunday. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah, this category, like if we've already got four, then we've got heaps more ready to, we're, we're going to have heaps more ready to go. Like we've already got one extra. So that's five. I think, yeah, easily going to hit the 11 to 15 and yeah, just going to keep going, going and going and going. Cause it's such a popular category. You even see yeah. like Tazzy. Yeah, well, it's it's just huge, and I think, like I had this discussion with Ron and, and a few other guys. Uh, they said as soon as they dip into low fifty nines, everyone's going to want one. Yeah. Because to get in, like, people get all desensitised by how quick the touring cars are and how quick some of the well sorted sports cars are. But to run a fifty nine consistently at, at a race meeting, it's not easy on a car, and to see these TA twos do it, um, you know, they're doing it quite easily now and the money they cost and how easy they are to maintain and to work like they're built they're a built race car so compared to a production car everything's annoying to work on these are just made to work on yeah so and they're made to do it for 100 laps you know like yeah. it's, it's pretty cool yeah exactly like i like that thing like that day we raced it was a pretty good day temperature wise and that and like in qualifying we did a 59 dead like 59.0 so and I'd be kidding myself if I said I'm getting the most out of the car now. Like, you know, it's like it's all seat yeah, time. Yeah. So there's no reason why we can't do a 58 or even something like if you have a good day or something, you could even do a 57 if the planets align or something. And then when you think that a supercar, like before they resurfaced the track, the supercar wasn't doing much faster than a 57, a 58. Yeah, definitely makes it pretty exciting. Mm. No, it's cool, and like they just 
yeah, they don't have the monster horsepower of the GDAs or, or some of the outright sports sedans, but they sound cool, they look cool, they hustle on track, they move around, um, they skittish under brakes. Like, it's just cool racing, you know, and throw them in a category with sports sedans and floor pan sports sedans and, and production sports cars. It, it just makes it for cool racing, and I think I'm hoping that'll... I mean, I get really romantic about racing, but I'm hoping that brings people back to the track because it's going to be cool to see. Um, we just need to strap some headlights on them so they can do night races and we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, we're in exactly the same boat as you. Like, we are absolute motorsport purists. So we want we want to bring, same as you, like bring people to the track. And if we can get people to come out to watch these TA2 cars, like, that would be awesome. Like you said, we just need a way to make it race under night because you look at the speedway that night format works either that or just get god knows how much money it would cost but get the whole track in floodlights and you don't even need headlights yeah there's some there's so many cool things it's hard because you, you've already got you know eight race meetings a year and um the the volunteer pool is, is only so big but you know, New Zealand does the, the Twilight Enduro series. That's really popular, and that's easy. That's sold as a show. You get to the track for your four hours. You're not stuck for a whole weekend. There's, we, we always talk about those little things, but it's impossible. It's really hard to get those things sorted out. So if we can just get some exciting racing happening, and the, the story can hopefully sell the rest, and then you can get that investment. Because it, it's all money at the end of the day for the club. You know, It's all cost money to get the big screen there, to get people to advertise, to get um more officials along and all that sort of stuff it's none of that's free right yeah so we've got to get get the good show going first and if you're a purist like like yourself and like shane and like me like man i'd turn up to watch formula forge because they put on a gangster show yeah um saloons mm. man four saloons wide through the s's that's just retarded <laughs> but you, you've got to get that show going and get other people that realize that that is damn cool and you don't see that every day of the week and even at the top tier of racing you, you sometimes don't even see a fight that good so but yeah, I don't know. We just got to get everyone. I don't know how to get everyone excited about it as we are, but yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I know, I know what you're saying. I think the best thing about Trans Am is like you hit the nail on the head before how exciting and that it is. Um, like, like you look at Tassie, it's great racing, it's exciting and that. The only thing probably Tassie had on the weekend was the few too many shunts with the safety cars and that. It probably just dampened the racing quality a little bit. But like, you look, you listen to the Trans Am, you listen to like podcasts and the new and like motorsport news websites and that. All anyone wants to talk about is TA2. Like, it's probably in terms of how the media circles go at the moment. It's probably supercars, followed by Trans Ams, followed by then maybe Super Twos and like TCR. I know they're trying to put that package together and that, but yeah, I feel like the TA2 is definitely getting a lot more traction and coverage than what. TCR are at the moment like the big thing TCR have is those supercar names but yeah I think the Trans Am yeah. are doing it more on their own two feet they're not needing the big names they're all yeah, well, I think creating... TCR has that um, has that modern car appeal like you know everyone's uh, into hot hatches these days and everyone's wife has one and blah 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 but the TA2s they just have that sound they look like a race car yeah you know, like if you're a kid and you draw a race car, you either draw a sprint car or you draw a two-door slanted car with giant wheels on it, Exactly. Right? Big so, wheels, big wings, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so that's what you, when you think race car, you think loud, gnarly pipes, 
out, outrageous loud graphics and that style or that look of car, you know, big fat rear end. Yeah. And, and so Joe Average that isn't the complete purist like us just goes, yeah, that's cool. And then, the, you know, like the, the white car, the one that ripped its splitter off of that tuning day, um, you know, all in the valve line graphics and that, it just looks like something you'd see at NASCAR or on a touring car stage. So everyone straight away go, that's really cool. I want to know more about that. I'll jump on the website or I'll jump on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever and figure it out, you know? So, yeah, that's why, that's why I think the, like you're saying, they are just going from strings to strings. Like the S5000s, I reckon they'll take off as well for the people that were traditionalists about open wheelers. Um, Brock, from a driver's point of view with the um, TA2s, how do you find them compared to uh, like your saloon car? Um, so like I said, like spoke to Bridget one day at the track about this, um, through you guys sort of thing with your media programs and that, that you run and, um, the cars, like they're very different, but they're very similar. Like at the end of the day, it's still got four wheels and a steering wheel kind of thing. Um, but just different things like you got over, yeah, pretty well double the horsepower. So you've, um you got to be a bit more gentle with your application um, because that's just going to light up those rear tyres. And then, like, things like a bit longer races as well. Like, we did two 15-lap races that meeting we did. So you got to look after your tyre across 15 laps. Um, and then, like, even things like you're not even sitting in the same side of the car. So there's a lot of differences in it, but a lot the same. Um, the other thing is, is like, um, with it just having the dog box in it um i've gone back to like the old karting style with the left foot braking um yep. and like i said from like i was happy enough to do right foot brake but with doing the carts for um so many years I, as soon as i put my foot on it with put my left foot on it like everything just came back to me like it was there was no real need to feel for that depth of feel and that but i know someone like dad who's right foot braked his whole life like he's sort of struggling to get his head around the left foot braking and is actually kind of going back to the right foot braking in it because, yeah, it's just the struggle thing. But with us, with the carts, yeah, left foot braking is like second nature. Yeah. Um, I'm going to hand you over to Brent now. Um, yeah. And this is uh, where you're going to end up with all the fan questions and the and the, the rumours and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I was um, going to say, you guys have well, been too kind to, say, to me so far. Yeah, no, this is what we have Brent for. Um, although yeah. I do have to say, the when we when were down in Collie recording for the uh, saloon cars and we had Chase down there, um, you're a great sport with uh, not punching us in the face for asking the question <laughs> about where the uh, steward's office is. Um <laughs> and, and it was a great day because like the stewards even got in on it all and yeah, yeah it was but it was good to see like that's that's a side of motorsport i think that uh people need to see more is um you know that i guess funnier side of you know pull the piss a little bit and you know get the stewards involved who you know like i think for a lot of people the only time they ever really see the stewards is if they are in trouble um and you know to have them having a bit of a joke on camera um you know and, and actually making them squirm 
uh, yeah. in answering the question was, was good. So, but yeah, no, that was cool. So, um, yeah, I'm sure we're going to find something again to hit you up with this year at one of the race things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's cool. And like she says, it's got to sell a bit of a human story, right? Like, yeah. And, like, I'm all for pulling the piss out of myself a little bit. Um, Like, yeah, don't take yourself too seriously. At the end of the day, what we're doing, even if it's at a local grassroots club level, is pretty serious. We all want to go out there and win or do as well as we can. So to be able to have that sort of laugh is good because I think you see a few of the V8 guys do it, like Chaz Mozzie and that. Like, they're genuinely funny, but then... Yeah, unfortunately, and then especially in F1, like, they're just robots. So for us to sort of show that we do have a bit of a personality and we can have a laugh and that, um, I think for not only for us, but, like, for people, like, especially if we're going on a national stage and want to showcase ourselves, it's good to show that we're humans that can have a laugh and, yeah, can yeah. take the mickey as out of ourselves. As long as it's respectful and it's not taken yeah, away from exactly. your sponsors and that it's got a like i harp on that that state level motorsport is hard it's not easy and it's not for everyone right so it is you've got to be prepared to put in that work which means you've got to be prepared to try and sell the story a bit as well which is exactly what i thought shane was getting at and what you're saying you know find out that you're not a robot um pre-programmed to uh win at everything so yeah yeah sorry i just just want to jump in here i literally just got a message off someone in supercars confirmed that they're going to come on the show and all i'm going to say is their last name is dane and i'm going to leave it at that and you guys can go back to your chat oh cool that's a big coup for you guys yeah no yeah I'm cool. glad I got on now. Maybe you would have never asked me to start getting there. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's cool. We've, we've, we've already had, you know, uh, several supercar drivers on. And I still think one of my favourite ones we've done so far was... Um, was uh, Brad Jones. Brad Jones with the Jackie Chan story. Like, that was just hilarious. Yeah. I'd love to just go out for dinner and get on the turps with Brad. Like, it just sounds like a complete lad. Yeah. So... Yeah, again, like, that, he was just so casual, loves his motorsport, and, you know, like yourself, just um, purist, but needs wants to see the story sold and get people hyped up on it, which, you know, I'll start grilling you now. The yeah. So Shane sort of touched on what's the difference between a saloon car and going to one of these TA2 cars, um, apart from the fact that they're not a production-based car, they're a full chassis car. But how are you finding the tyres on it? Obviously, the TA2 cars, um, they run a bigger... Bigger bag, as, as you'd say, the, the older style, big baggy slick compared to the modern sports sedans. Um, how, have you found that, like, did that take much to get your head around? Obviously, they, they cycle differently. Um, they don't turn on the same. Yeah. Um, yeah, so definitely in that sense. Like you said, the cycle differently. Like, how you go out for qualifying and that is very different. Um, and then the other thing you find, like, the slide in it, probably giving away secrets here, but the slide in it in the actual car is probably isn't as bad as it looks on TV, but that's all and to the crowd. But that's always good. Like makes it look makes it a little bit easier to drive, but on the outside looks hard to drive. Um, but then the other thing, like you've really got to look after the tyres in the car. Like they will slip away, and before you know it, that sort of 
half slide that's not really a slide that the car does does turn into a full crank oversteer. Um, so yeah, yeah cool. so you've got so to that, really look. Yeah. Yeah. So you really got to look yeah. after the tires in the car. No, that's and something like. Something I've sort of got from my karting days is um, I've always been lucky enough that, like, with the way I drive, I do um, look after the tyres throughout a race. So I think that's going to benefit me a bit. Um, like, at the moment in saloon cars, where you do an eight-lap race, you're not really getting rewarded for looking after your tyres unless you go race in a national level or like race like when we had the nationals at Darwin a couple of years ago um, where you do a 20-lap final, you start seeing that you've got to look after your tyres. But in this TA2, like sometimes it feels like you do a 10-lap race. Like the 15-lappers that, that we did above yellow, you've got to look after your tyres even in that. And that's still pretty short, all things considered, race-wise. Yeah, it's cool, and that's that's one of the things I like about the the format that um, you know Sportsland Sport Cars uses because an eight lap race for a well built race car, um, it, it's relatively not too hard on the gear. You don't you're not cooking brakes. You're not um, you know unless you're really on old treads or, or tires have been cycled way too many times. You're not gonna they're not gonna go off um, unless you really you know really really get stuck into them. So no, it's it's cool. Um, what about the setup of the car? How are you finding getting your head around that? Um, obviously, they're made to be easily worked on when you get around it, but they are a traditional double wishbone front end, solid rear end. Um, so it's, you know, um, you've got a lot more freedoms. I know it's kind of controlled, but you've got, um, there's a lot more freedoms in your adjustment there than the production cars. So. Is it taking you much for you guys to get your head around that or you relying, uh, you know, pulling a lot of info from Gary in that or how you, um, how are you managing that? So with us, so like dad, like sort of for these questions, dad's sort of the guru in setting up the cars. I'm sort of like, unfortunately, sort of like the typical driver. I'll come in and say it's doing this or that and then we'll sort of talk like as if an engineer talks to their driver about different changes to make. Um, but I know in that sense you have got a few, you've definitely got a few more options than what you do in the um, saloon cars to change. But the best thing, one of the best things about TA2 and um, sort of one of the selling points I think it's going to be is, so they've got like that parts truck and that, and they're going to actually have one in WA with all the parts. And but the guy who runs it's Peter Robinson. And like dad can actually ring him up and ask him a few things on setup and that, and he'll help him out. And the other thing you do is when you um, get a TA2 car, you'll get the book, and in the book, it will literally show you how to pull this car apart and rebuild it if you want to. So it it gives you a bit of, mm. like, you're not going to know everything and anything, but it does give you a bit of a running guide. It's almost like a bit of a self-help book, and then um, you can sort of take that with what you want. Yeah, and that and that's a, that book you're talking about. That's the one that comes from the chassis builder in the states, isn't it? That's correct. Yeah. So yeah, that, yeah, I've seen yeah. I've seen a couple of them, and that, it's really cool. Like you're buying real race cars that do real things with, a, you know, like TA TA racing has been around for a long, long time in the states. So there's so much knowledge over there, which is it's really cool. Um, so yeah, that that is probably cool. 
what what have you what have you found as um, other than the extra horsepower? What have you found as the the coolest thing about it? Like, what do you think? What what t- turns you on the most about that new car compared um, to your, your old one? So other than car, cars, course, I've never you know, raced on really a slick cool. tire. Yeah. So other than um, in carts, I've never raced on a slick tire. So like obviously racing on a slick's cool, but I remember we did a private, like did one of like hired collie for like three hours kind of thing. And for what was our last session of the day, we bolted on new rubber just to see how we'd go in it. And the extra grip that those things provide on the new rubber is like, I was just ear to ear, like the grip, and like, I don't know, I think this might be more like cars being pure races. I think the grip and how late you could break and how much corner speed you could carry through the corner with new tyres probably excites me more than just opening up the throttle and blasting it down the straight. Like, it's like, whoa, you're really hanging on in the corner, but this car is just hanging on phenomenally on new tyres. And like, yeah, to be on a slick that works like that is yeah just insane like i really really enjoy being on it like i've enjoyed being on a slick tire because yeah other than carts and even then it's sort of hit and miss like what a slick tire actually is um yeah i've never raced on a slick tire it's always been a radial in saloon cars yeah no that's cool and and especially with those um the, the bigger style slicks they do uh, when they're green, the, the advantage is just massive, which is really cool that you've picked up on that already, and hopefully you can translate that um, pretty well in the seat. Um, other things, TA2, how have you found, like obviously in saloon cars, you've been doing it for a while, you, you, your dad's got a massive legacy in saloons. Um, you, you know, everyone you talk to, you guys help out a ton of people. You know, Chase mentioned how much help you guys give them. Your old man always says good day to me, and, you know, we always chat and stuff you always seem pretty happy and, and chirpy and that comes from being in, in a really good group of guys right how have you found i know you only did sort of the tail end of the season last year in the ta2 but how have you found the change to the sports and sports car group complete different group of guys if you were to compare them to saloon guys like um it's a real different field right so how, how have you found that yeah really good um so like Obviously, like like you said, we've only done a couple of met or done the one meet, so we haven't got to know a huge amount of the the sports sedans guys. But like we've sort of just through ourselves and knowing them and that, like all the TA2 guys in WA, so pretty well all the guys that own a TA2 in WA, and they're like all really good people. Like Peter George, who's sort of the TA2 category manager, and that like they all just do a lot for you, help you out kind of thing. Like, I remember, um, like, we did that 59 dead in qualifying. And up until that qualifying session, no one had done the 59 in the TA2 car. And, like, there wasn't one guy, like, linked in that TA2 sort of fraternity that didn't come up and go, oh, that was a good lap, well done. Or now we know where the bar is, like, you've raised the bar kind of thing. So, to get that sort of recognition to have those sort of people around you is really good. And then even on a national level, everyone we've dealt with so far, whether that be in the National Trans Am through ARG or through TA2 Racing Australia themselves, have all been really good, really helpful, all that. Even to the point like 
we had everything everything sent off, booked, paid for, ready to go to Tassie, and then it's last minute we can't go. So like we're letting everyone know, and they were more disappointed that you couldn't come rather than being like, all right, we've taken you off the entry list. Like they're like, oh, that just sucks that you can't come. So everyone we've dealt with so far have been really good. They're really competitive. They still want to beat you. They still want to win. Yeah, no but, doubt. Um, yeah, because you put a helmet on. Really, everyone we've dealt with so far have been really good people. No, that's that's really cool to hear, and that's that's an awesome plug for the for the category. With the um, with that aside, obviously your main goal or your main ambition is to to get into state, right? Um, and, and how's how's that set up for you guys? Have you guys got a container? You swag everything into a container and you work out of that, or you're taking you got a pretty sweet setup uh, transporter? Are you gonna using that or what's what's your play for that yeah so our plan is just that um we got the transporter and we got the trailer so we'll just um go over with that pretty well every like every weekend we're um hoping we sort of were talking to them about it and they seem keen like loosely affiliating ourselves with dream racing over there and um they were actually going to um how's the transporter and the car and that for us and then what we're going to do because um dad wasn't talking about racing nationally he was just talking about racing locally so we'd have the one car over here doing all the local state series and that and then we're just going to have one car over there especially for like if we were able to do the first three rounds in the national trans am it was going to be three three race meetings in three months but it's a lot of travel it's easier yeah, to just easy have to the car Victoria. Yeah. yeah, fly over with your race bag and then fly back home. And then we'll, the plan was, like I said, who knows with COVID, but then we're going to bring the car home so that we could have as big a grid as possible for that Western Swing Series they were going to do. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So, well, that's cool. I hope it pulls. I hope these borders don't get slammed shut again. I think it's gone past it now, so it should be sweet. Um, so, obviously, the social aspect of it seems like they're a pretty cool group of guys. And um, from what I've been told, um, you guys are going to fit into that pretty cool. Um, I've been told that, uh, you know, the boilies throw some pretty wicked parties down Augusta Way. What, what can you tell us about that? What sort of uh, things should we expect? Yeah, we yeah, we have. One? Yeah, we um, usually throw like an annual sort of bash um, event. I think this year was poorly booked because we've actually got it booked on the first race meeting of the WA Sporting Car Club series. Um, So a few people have had to pull out. So it tells you how popular motorsport is because people are like, no, we're going racing. Like, stuff you guys. Um, But the reason we had it that weekend, admittedly, was because we were expecting that we were going to be in Tasmania. Like, we were talking about the other day. We're like, we knew that McGowan was going to slam those borders shut. We would have had the party earlier and um, gone racing on the weekend. Yeah. Cool. So what's the party for? Is it just a big annual bash or just a chance to let yeah, off fireworks or to, a chance for your dad to, to scare of, the hell out of everyone? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, We used to sort of do it before Christmas, but... um. Before Christmas, everyone's sort of pretty busy, pretty flat out. So what we do is we just do an annual sort of big bash sort of thing, get like a live band and that there and like the joys with the farm have a bit of acreage. So, yeah, can have a bit of fun, have a bit of a party, play up a bit kind of thing and then 
yeah, sort of that's that for a year. And then the next year we all go back and do the same thing. And it's a great way to catch up with people that you may not have seen in that time and that as well. So while we laugh and it's a great piss up and all the rest of it, it is a good way to catch up with people and even racing people. Like you're seeing them in a social aspect rather than in a race aspect where, yeah, you're trying to beat them or you're trying to work on your cars and all that and you're not giving yeah, wicked. Well, you'd be full surprised attention about, to just uh, having a good time sometimes. How many... Yeah, wicked. Well, you'd be surprised on how many saloon car guys mention the Augusta Bash and, uh, you know, that's sort of a highlight for them and, and it proves how, how hospitable you guys are and, you know, everyone said you're going to be sorely missed from that category. Well, we're just stoked we've still got you in WA racing. Um, probably chewed up a heap, heap of time, but because uh, I just see we just we sort of ticked over the hour. But do you have any? This is something I always ask before Shane rolls into a couple. Do you have any weird superstitions? You've always been racing for a while now. Um, everyone sort of develops a weird thing that they do subconsciously or not, or something they have to do with their crew chief or dad or whatever, or weird toilet stall stuff. We've had all sorts, you know, green socks, you name it. So. Have you got anything weird that you uh, um, have? I've got I've got the most bizarre one of all, and um, everyone that listens to this is probably going to laugh at it. So, like, I quite enjoyed reading. Right, read hold, on, hold on, hold on, before before you tell us this, just pick up the phone because it's it's got a bit of background noise, and we want to make sure we capture this clearly. <laughs> yeah, I'll move I'll move away from the fan. Um, ah, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah, it would have been. Right. The Let's make sure we capture this this story clearly. So, yeah, go for All it. All right. So, yeah, like I said, don't even know why I'm saying this. I should just make up saying else and say it's not this, but I'll say it's this. So, I read like a lot of books and that um bit of a nerd in that sense kind of thing. And the books can be about anything. So, novels, autobiographies, all that sort of thing. And obviously, with that, with being a rev head, you read a lot of racing ones, and I won't read a racing book or be in the middle of it or whatever on race weekend. So even if I've got like a hundred pages to go and it's like the Thursday before the race meeting, I've got to finish that book. And the reason I have that superstition is every time I'm reading a racing book during a race weekend, I have a shit weekend basically. Either everything will go wrong and yeah, just a shit weekend. I don't think I don't think that's as as bad as you make it out to be. Like it's, you know, the, the human brain's a weird thing. You've probably got some sort of subconscious wanting to finish that book thing going on, and you're thinking yeah. about that rather than worrying about performing it 100. percent I don't think it's too too crazy. I didn't pick you for a, a Lord of the Rings book type nerd, but uh, you know, uh, yeah, we can start some start some Gandalf rumors or something for sure. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Grow the beard out or something, and yeah, start some rumors. Oh dear, um, you got anything else, Brent? Nah, yeah. So I, yeah, I was just happy to talk to him, and I'm I'm stoked to hear that he's um really twigged on to the um the tire thing with the big baggy slicks, uh, and I'm also I was also really interested to hear that how the car moves around, how that that sort of dive that those TA two cars do to do, and how they sort of move really heavily under brakes and out of a corner is more so on the outside and the inside the car still feels like a rocket. So you know that's um. Obviously, they're obviously really well set up to move like that and still give the confidence, you know, like 
some people would freak out with that happening in a car, you know, unless they, they, they really come from that background. So that's, I was pumped on that. Really cool. Um, in terms of, uh, yeah, my, my usual question, I mean, everything's a usual question when you come on this, this podcast, um, it's the answers that make it the, um, if you were able to have someone sitting next to you, uh, in, in the cockpit or, you know, outside of the car to give you, you know, driver coaching and tips, uh, any, any person from any era of motorsport, any, any, uh, category, who would you want that to be? Um, so I've got two. So if you're doing carts and want to give him a plug, I don't know if you ever listened to the show, but want to give him a plug because he did so much for my racing development is everyone in the karting circles are known. There's a bloke called Troy Hunt and he runs a program called Top Gun Driver Training. And if it wasn't for him, we I wouldn't be half the person I am today. Like he just was so crucial in the development of our racing and that. And like when I talk about the Vicky State title story before and you talk about the hard work and that go in it, we'd just sort of around that time started affiliating ourselves with Troy Hunt. So you put the pieces together and you figure out that he did a lot for me and my driving and that. Um, and then on the going to the sort of second part, the second one, in a car aspect, I think for me it would probably be Garth Tander. Now I might be looking at this with the WA rose-coloured glasses, but I just think his the way he drives and what he did in that like he's underrated. Like, and not only that, but he'll be able to then come in and not just tell you, well, you need to fix this, this, and this as a driver, but he'll be able to turn to like me or dad or someone and say and then you need to do this this and this to make the car better like i think you look at the supercars coverage now and it's the better with having garth on it who just knows so much about the sport and being recently out of it knows so much about these cars and what they need and that so yeah for me it would be those two like i said troy hunt done a lot of work with him i owe a lot of my racing to him and then yeah Garth Tander, just because of what he's done and just when you watch him and listen to him, like like I said, I feel like he's really underrated. Okay. I don't think we've had anyone ever uh, say say Garth on the on the show so far. So that's good. Like like different different answers. Um here's your opportunity to uh, thank People, obviously, uh, you've mentioned Troy Hunt, uh, but you know, thank you. Know, who, who would you uh, thank? You know, if you're standing on top of the podium championship national series, you've got a you've got about a minute to say thank you to to people that have got you there. Who who at that, this stage would be would be on that list? Uh, top of the list is easy. It's Dad and Gary. Like, like obviously family as well. Like what dad and the family have given me opportunities wise is amazing. And then like, um, and like a lot of sacrifice in that. And then you go thank Gary as well. Like dad and Gary, we talked about in this show, like to be up till 3am to build a race car so you can go racing. Like, yeah, they're just gurus. And like every year they just work to make that car better for me so that I could go out there. And as I usually say on the podium racing circles, 
run around in circles and try and win a couple of trophies. Like for me, it's those two people. Um, yeah, I just owe so much to them. Um, and I know that really they don't sort of expect anything in return other than, um, other than just going out there and giving it the biggest crack I can. And um, with Gary, make sure there's some Jim Beams in the fridge as well. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you very much for uh, giving up some time to come and chat with us. It's uh, been, been a bit of fun. No, it's been good. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah, there, there was one story we, we did miss, which was something you mentioned uh, beforehand, which was about a, a race in the heat. Yep, yep. I know where you're going with yep, this one. Do, so. Yep, yep. So, so, yeah, so obviously on the last episode we had Charlotte talk about the uh, weight of the carts and you know, slipping in some coins uh, to, to bring the car up to weight. I believe you're we, – well, we should have mentioned this earlier, but uh, it's probably a nice way to end the show – you had the opposite problem, I believe. Yeah, so we um, came in the pits and it was at Geraldton, and typical Geraldton, a stinking hot day, about 38 degrees. And um, we'd won the race and, like, just pouring sweat off. And I remember, I think it was mum or dad tried to give me the drink bottle just, just to have a sip, like, because, you know, water weighs a lot. And um, the official turned around and said... If you even touch that water bottle before you get on the scales, we're going to get you excluded from this race. So when you've just won the weekend, um, yeah, you're happy enough to just sweat it out and pant your way up to the scales. Um, but another funny actually weight story, if we're going with the carding with the weights, is um, the Victorian State Championships. In rookies, you had to weigh 105 kilos, and that's what we were running at the time. We were racing rookies. And we jumped on the scales, and I swear to God, these were the slowest moving scales in the world. They just kept ticking and ticking over. And I got to 104.5, 105, and then it hit 105.5. And mum has anxiety. So mum's like, oh, my God, you ran it that close to weight. Like, imagine if you lost the championship because of that. And dad, who's always the optimist, goes, if I could have shaved that half a kilo off, you would be state champion. <laughs> oh dear holy that's i think that's a very good note to end this one on um yeah again thank you very much for joining us um we'll obviously link to uh brock's social media stuff in the description so make sure you get over check him out give him a follow and uh yeah see what he gets up to with the ta2 um brent Thanks for joining back no. with us for this episode. No, thank you. It's cool, cool to hear, cool to talk to Brock, man. Like I said, always a, um, always got a smile and, and always pretty happy to say good day at the track. He's got shit just along from my one. So, yeah, and it's always cool. It's cool seeing someone bringing that, that next level, you know, like that's, that's where I think we should all be at, at a state level. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah. All right, mate. Thanks very much. And, uh, yeah, we will definitely see you at the track soon. Yeah, we'll definitely be there. We'll see you later, guys. Thanks for having us on. Shane here from Behind the Sport. Thanks for listening to our latest episode. If you don't already follow us, head on over to Facebook and Instagram. Find us on there. 
give us a follow or visit our website behindthesport.net. Catch up with the latest motorsport news, find all of our previous episodes and of course you can leave us comments on those as well. You can also find us on your favourite podcast provider such as Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes and more. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.